0: I would commend you now to take out your Bibles, or at the very least your bulletins, which have our sermon text printed in them, uh, along with a sermon notes page underneath that. Uh, Our text today is Psalm uh, Psalm 90. Uh, The author of this psalm is Moses. Uh, Not a perfect man by any means, but as the heading of the psalm tells us, the man of God. This psalm is actually paraphrased by isaac watts we sang it earlier today oh god our help in ages past this week as as the news came out from nasa uh, of the new pictures that have been released i'm sure many of you if not most of you have seen those pictures of of not just our galaxy but of galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies uh, the most detailed pictures that have ever been released it, it caused me to feel small much as al was saying earlier today looking up at the stars and indeed that is the intent of Isaiah 40 which we read before also I think that the same point is being made here in Psalm 90 to compare ourselves to God to see how big he is how small we are and thus how we must live our lives and result if you're able please stand out of respect for God's holy and inspired word As I read to you Psalm 90, this is the Word of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like a grass that that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days pass away under your wrath we bring our years to an end like a sigh the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80 yet their span is but toil and trouble they are soon gone and we fly away who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have been seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us yes establish the work of our hands thus sends the reading of God's holy and inspired word our only infallible rule for faith and practice the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever you may be seated would you pray with me once more Our Heavenly Father it is a good thing that your word speaks to us it speaks of your greatness and of your glory and it speaks to us of our finiteness of our weakness of our inability may your word humble us today and may it show us our salvation in you for we pray it in the name of the one who purchased that salvation even christ jesus our lord amen so we haven't really spoken about this too much in our uh, going through the Psalms, but the Psalms themselves are actually kind of broken up into five sections, called five books, actually. And the fifth, or I'm sorry, the fourth of these books begins with today's text. It runs from, from uh, Psalm 90 and up until Psalm 106. And, and this book of the Psalms focuses largely on the kingship of God, over all creation that's a message that we need to hear in this time and place it's it's something we need to hear because we are living in a time and a place and an age where where we are prone more than ever perhaps to elevate ourselves right because we have learned so much we think we know everything Because we've accomplished so much, we think we can do anything. We we want to be independent, or at least think of ourselves as being independent. And and we want to elevate ourselves to a place of prominence. Nobody gets to tell us what to do. We are in charge of ourselves. That's the motto of our day. Well, so it is that this psalm which was written thousands of years ago and has been sung by the people of God literally for millennia, is very appropriate for us. It gives us a wonderful corrective to our way of thinking, to our natural way of seeing the world. And it presents to us a a universal human condition, a, a universal human problem, something that we all deal with. And it falls into three parts the first section from from verses 1 through 6 highlight that universal problem that problem that we all face the second part looks into the the cause of that problem that goes from verses 7 to 11 basically and then from verse 12 to the end of the chapter we see the answer or the solution to that problem so first off the problem sermon notes you'll see a blank there problem is this life is fleeting right life is fleeting it, it's here today and gone tomorrow we don't like to think about this do we we don't like to think about the fact that that life is fleeting in fact we do everything we can to deny this fact to ourselves right we we have things like, uh you know exercise routines not that exercise is bad it's good i should do more of it myself but but we think if we work hard with this we can stay young right that's what we we have you know skin creams that we put on our our face and and things so that our face looks younger we we dye our hair or perhaps we we uh put hair back where hair used to be or or we do other things that that try to make ourselves look younger because we we don't want to believe that we are actually getting old some people even have surgeries right that that try to make themselves look younger you don't like to talk about death either we we often come up with other ways of saying it so we don't have to use the word die right well he he passed away he went to be with the Lord you know we think of nice things like that as opposed to he died the reality and even the very fact that we we do funerals like we do I'm not saying we shouldn't do it it's the way that we've culturally come to it but there was a time when when somebody would die in the home and that's where they'd be and there'd be a viewing there they they'd be there you take the body off and they'd be done with it there but but now that people don't usually die in the home even and we kind of fix them up so they look all pretty, right? And we we spend a lot of money to have this done and and, and we just, we want to create this illusion to ourselves of youth and of life that is ongoing even in the face of death. But the Bible does not speak about death as a good thing, right? It, it doesn't think of just as as part of life even, you know, that we talk about it that way too. Bible doesn't talk about it that way. Bible rightly recognizes that death is the the final enemy, but it is something that we all face. Right, we are made to experience fellowship with God. We are we are made for life. Right, that is what life truly is, and its fullest is when we are in fellowship with God. So we we're, we're created to experience that. Uh, we see it in, in Genesis one and two, right, where where God God creates man and he breathes the breath of life or even the the spirit of life into him and he he lives and he walks with him in perfect fellowship and and that is life as it is meant to be experienced and so we look to verse one here we see lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations i want to point out three things very quickly about this first verse First, I want to point out this. God is referred to here as Lord. And you might notice that that Lord here is not the all capitals Lord that we often see in the Psalms, but rather regularly written with the lowercase O-R-D. And the reason for this is is that when we see all capitals, that is the name of God, Yahweh. But in this case, it is not the Hebrew word Yahweh that stands behind this, but rather the word Adonai, the word which is translated as normally is lord as in like the lord of a manor right somebody who has sovereignty or or who is who has authority over something right that's what this name name uh communicates elevation and authority it is is his splendor and his glory that are being upheld and being commuted communicated here but at the same time and this is the second thing i want to point out about this verse uh, even though god is lofty even though he is transcendent the reality is that he is at the same time imminent he comes close to us and he is accessible in fact he's referred to here as our dwelling place he is the place that we can go to that we can retreat to right like like your home where you dwell where you live it is it is an intensely personal thing right you decorate your house to be the way you want it to be and you you when you get away from everybody else you return to your house and and it's 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 very personal it's very intimate it's very very much you and god says that i am this for you that makes sense right what we know from what paul says in acts 17 in him we live and move and have our being it is in him in fellowship with him in union with him true life is to be experienced in and with God that is how it is meant to be he is our dwelling place a place of comfort and a place of protection of refuge of help third he has proven himself faithful through generation after generation after generation to keep his promises so he has not just promised to be our dwelling place He has demonstrated throughout generation after generation that he is able and willing to do so and that he actually has done so and that's why we can sing as we did a moment ago of all the Saints who who now from the labors rest right because God has been faithful to hold them as they have persevered in the in the faith and he has he has been steadfast to his promises to be a dwelling place for them and so as Alexander McLaren puts it in this short verse the singer breathes sweet contemplation of the eternal God as the dwelling place or asylum of generations that follow each other swift and unremembered as the waves that break on some lonely shore." how awesome is our God he is the same yesterday today and tomorrow he is the Alpha and Omega the beginning And the end. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the Almighty. Praise be to God. Verse 2: Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is the point that he is making here. We see in this uh, the power and awesomeness of God. We see that it's being being held forth before us and and his glory is often often likened to a fire right and and when we think about a fire we need to kind of decide well how is it that we relate to that fire before we determine if it's a good thing or a bad thing right if if the fire is harnessed and used to create warmth or or to create light or to create energy then then it is a good thing right but if it is a A towering inferno that is raging out of control then that's a bad thing and and when we look to God and see his might and his glory and his power we also have to ask ourselves how do we relate to this God is it in a good sense or a bad sense because it could be either one right if God is for us then then it is good but if he is against us it is not just bad but very very bad And as we look at this text, the early returns, my friends, are not promising. Verse 3 You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. (coughs) Mm -hmm. We'll come back to this in just a minute, but for now, let us focus on the fact that that this contrast is being made between God and his might and man and his finiteness. that, That God returns man to dust, whereas, Whereas God is so mighty and powerful, man is but dust. Right? And it says in verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You know, whereas we are tied to the clock, bound to the, the clock in the calendar, day by day, moment by moment. God is eternal. He is he is un. un Bound by time, and so when it says a thousand years in a day in comparison together, this isn't a mathematical equation, right? Sometimes we we take things too literalistically. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we can't trust the Bible in what it says. Absolutely, we can, and we should understand it literally when it speaks literally. But this is not a literal statement. it's, it's a it's a poetic statement. It's it's very intentionally poetic language, and so so when it's saying that a thousand years are like a day, it's not it's not saying that that it's a one to one correspondence there. Actually, for God, a day is is or a thousand even more than a thousand years a thousand years or two thousand years or ten thousand years or a hundred thousand years are still but like a day, right? It, it's a matter of of his eternity being so great that any amount of time is no different. It's but a, but an instant, right? It, it's kind of like for us, like even, even us, as we're bound to the clock, right? If I, if I asked you, like, can you tell the difference between uh, a nanosecond and a millisecond, right? Well, you know, there's a huge difference between those. And yet to us, because... Of, we're so big compared to that, time-wise, right? You know, that, that it means nothing to us. It's kind of like that, not exactly like that. Because God can tell the difference, but but for him, it's speaking to his eternity here. And the fact that he is so broad and so vast and so outside of time even, that, that time does not matter to him at all. And yet, we are very small. We're contrasted to man here who, it says in, verse 5 you sweep away as with a flood i was watching a video just the other day of some people who were were looking at a, the waves crashing on the shore as as a storm was brewing i think it was a, like the seaside and 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 they were just standing there and the waves kept getting bigger and and i kept thinking my goodness if i were them i would not be so close because you can see where this is going and the waves kept getting bigger and coming up further and further and finally, as these people stood there, the waves crashed over them. And, and it tossed they tossed them about like ragdolls and eventually even carried them off to sea. And there was nothing they could do about it. They were just swept away. And no power they had could fight against it. That is what it's saying here. You sweep them away as with a flood. Or to use another simile, they are like a dream. Have you ever had a dream? I know you have, just like me. You've been awakened from a dream. And as you wake up it is the most intense thing because like maybe it was a scary dream or or maybe it was a joyful dream or or whatever but it's just this, this vivid world that you were in And the moment you awake it's gone right that world is no longer there it seems so real but when you wake up it's gone and even even oftentimes the memory is gone almost instantly right this I mean it seems so real and it was so vivid And I woke up and seven seconds later I can't even remember what it was about. Right? It's just gone. It's like a vapor. Gone. That's what he says. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Right? It's talking here about about the fact that the hot dry summers in the Holy Land will come and, and the grass can be a verdant green and beautiful and then and then like nothing it's burnt brown withered right all these illustrations point to the same thing to the same problem that life is fleeting well what's the cause of this problem that's the second thing the problem's cause quite simply we are sinful. That's the cause. The cause is we are sinful. Remember, I said a few minutes ago that we'd come back to verse 3. We're going to do that right now. Verse 3. You, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. And, and this is giving us a, a reminder of our temporal fate, right? And the, the fact that God is so much bigger than us. So we are uh transient while he is transcendent, right? It, it kind of that con contrast there but it's not just doing that i I think it's almost certain that what we have here is an allusion to genesis 3 specifically in verse 19 where god says to adam by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return i say it's it's an allusion to that verse not just because it talks about returning man to dust, but also just even the fact that in verse three it says, return, O children of man, that word man there literally in the Hebrew is the word Adam. Adam. It could literally be read, O children of Adam. Right? And so so we need to say, well well why did this happen to Adam? Why has it happened to us as his children? It is because he fell in the garden when God directed him to do certain things and to not do other things. Right? And, and Adam failed in that. He was acting as our father, as our corp- corporate representative. He was our, our federal head, is the, the technical term. He was representing us, acting on our behalf. And so when he fell, we fell with him. All of creation fell, as a matter of fact. And, and as if it were something that we could say, it was, uh, well, that's not fair that I should be counted sinful because of him. Uh, well, don't worry. You you actively participate in your sin each and every day, and so do I, right? And so, so we are sinful, and the fall is a result of our sin. And it's really crazy that we would ever sin if you think about it. Sin is just so self-destructive. Think about it. We're we're created to see God as our Lord, right? As as the one who is our sovereign, who is in charge of us and all things and we are at the same time created to be in fellowship with him and that is what true life is seeing him as Lord and yet being in fellowship with him but when we sin what we are doing is we elevate ourselves to the throne and push him off of it right we say I don't want you to be in charge God I want to be in charge instead we push him off the throne and we push him away from ourselves right we say I I don't want you to be in charge and and I don't like the terms of our relationship so we push him off the throne and away from ourselves the very thing that is life having God as our dwelling place him as our friend are the things that we reject each and every time we sin it is a self-defeating project the most illogical thing ever and yet we are broken we are prone to to sin and the worst part about it is is when we do sin we are left with nowhere to turn then right because god is our help he is the one who will help us in the midst of our troubles but we've gotten ourselves into trouble And the very trouble we've gotten ourselves into is by pushing god away from ourselves you see how self-defeating it is and in doing so we brought an end your anger, it says. It says, "Oh, so God's not angry anymore?" No, that's not the, the point. It means when it says we we brought it to an end, we we we've been consumed by it is the idea. Right? We've been been consumed by it. It's it's the idea, of of. Deuteronomy four, where Moses writes that the Lord your God is a consuming fire, right? And we see it here at the the next part of that verse seven by your wrath we are dismayed the idea is being overwhelmed with grief it's the same word that's used in Genesis 45 you'll recall when when Joseph's brothers sell him off into slavery in Egypt but then many years later they come to Egypt and they need help and and they get help from Joseph not knowing that it is Joseph right he provides them with the help and and then he finally reveals himself to them and he says to his brothers i am joseph is my father still alive and it says his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence right that's the same word imagine how Joseph's brothers felt on that day right oops we really messed up didn't we now it's not just kind of a trivial thing like that they were dismayed they were distraught they were brought to an end of themselves and this is what our sin should do to us it 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 causes us to realize when we see it what a terrible mistake it is we're left completely without covering and without excuse and god looks upon us it says in verse 8 you have set our Iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We are naked before God with nothing hidden from him. He sees all of our sin and he is rightly angry. And I want to pause at that point when I say that he's angry because I, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about here. You see, because when we talk about anger and we think about anger, we might misunderstand what's going on here because, frankly, we have an anger problem, right? And our anger problem is that usually, almost always, maybe even always, our anger as human beings is at least tinged with sin, right? Our sinfulness is intertwined with our anger. So even if we have a uh, and anger what that what we would think would be a righteous anger right even if we are angry about something that we should righteously be angry about the fact of the matter is that our sinfulness creeps in and the way that we experience and express our anger often is at least touched by that sin and that's why though there is such a thing as righteous anger God warns us in a number of places such as Colossians 3 Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. But he says, put that away. You ought not to do that. In James 1, he says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God all that being said the fact remains that god is angry at our sin he is angry at our sin with a righteous anger because god's anger while ours is intimately intertwined with our sin his is intimately intertwined with his holiness and his justice and his his righteous judgment right And we don't like judgment at least we don't think we like judgment right but, but we really do sometimes, like when, when somebody else has done something wrong to us, we want justice in that occasion, right? And, and, and when we see an Adolf Hitler doing terrible things, we absolutely want him brought to justice, and we want an eternal judgment against him, for sure. But when it comes to us, we're not too keen on judgment. We're not too keen on justice. But God's anger burns hot against sin and all our days pass away under your wrath we bring our years to an end like a sigh it says right for the years of our life for 70 or even by reason of strength 80 and he's saying the lifespan, generally it would have been 70 years 80 if you were really lucky really fortunate really healthy and Yet even in those 70 or 80 years there are toil and trouble, they are soon gone and we fly away. Life is hard, it is broken, it is full of pain and sorrow and ultimately death. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It all seems so hopeless, doesn't it? seems so hopeless but there is hope for those who look to christ jesus for salvation and for a while we deserve god's wrath god describes himself to moses as being slow to anger and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin how does he do this well he does it through the cross where christ jesus died where christ jesus the holy one of Israel, the Son of God who is righteous in all his ways bore our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, he absorbed that wrath. He absorbed that anger. The the righteous anger of God which should have been poured out on me and you and you and billions of other people who have lived. Right For all who are his, Christ Jesus said, stand beneath me and I will shield you from that anger i will i will absorb that wrath on your behalf and you need not be the object of it and that's why the psalmist can say in psalm 30 his anger is but for a moment his favor is for a lifetime weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes in the morning right because we have a solution to this problem the solution is God is gracious, right? You get what I mean by gracious? It means that that he doesn't necessarily give us what we deserve. It's not that he doesn't meet out what is deserved. Oh, he does meet out the punishment that is deserved, but he, he pours it out on Christ, right? It's not that he suspends the rules of justice. No, justice was accomplished at the cross right and so it is at the cross that his perfect justice his perfect righteousness his perfect holiness come together with his perfect love and his perfect grace and his perfect mercy and so we experience his graciousness there most commentators would include verse 12 with part two i wanted to include it in part three here uh and i guess you could have gone either way with it but we see here it it kind of fits into the things that i'm saying here with verse 12 he says so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom right a heart of wisdom that that realizes in short that we are not god that we should let god be god that we should bow the knee to him that we should we should align our lives in in line with his with his will right that 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 walking in the ways of godliness is what wisdom is and so he says says teach us so that we might have this heart of wisdom right it's not our natural tendency god needs to subdue our hearts like a a cowboy might subdue a bucking bronco right he needs to he needs to do that he needs to bring us into alignment we can't do that on our own we won't do that on our own but he does it not because we deserve it but because he is gracious return in verse 13 return O lord how long have pity on your servants he's not saying because we deserve it he says have pity have mercy right whereas whereas god tells man back in verse 3 to return to dust we see here parallel to it don't we man is crying out to god return right but it's not return to to be annihilated but return to set all things right Return to to take that which is broken and put it together. Return to to take that which is tarnished and make it clean. Return to to take that which is so wrong and make it all right. You see, that is the the hope of the Christian. Too often we think that our hope is to someday die and go to heaven. But rather, the Christian hope is, is so much better than that. The Christian hope is that God and heaven will come to earth, that he will set all things to rights. And we who are, are dead will be raised, but we who are still here will be caught up with them and, and we will experience that and it will be a joy that is eternal and everlasting and we will be fully satisfied in that. And so he says that in the meantime, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Right, Our, our satisfaction should be found not in the things of this earth, not in the things... Uh, of this world not in the things of the flesh but rather in the steadfast love of god that has that that covenant love and faithfulness that he has for his people we should find our 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 satisfaction in that that we might rejoice and be glad all our days like c.s lewis once said aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in but aim at earth and you will get neither so Moses offers up a prayer here that is comparatively humble to what we might rightly pray. He says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Right? In essence, he says, for, you know, give, us, give us a joy that is equal to the sorrow that we have faced. Right? Give, us, give us a joy that, that like balances the scales between our joy and our sorrow. But as those who live in the new covenant those who have beheld the glory of christ on the cross those who have who have a salvation in him we can pray a more audacious prayer than that because we know what is said in second corinthians 4 that this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all compre- all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is how, how he offers us a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Right. So, so it says in verse 16, Let your works be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. He's saying open our eyes to see what you're doing, what you're building, what you're accomplishing, that work that you will bring to completion. Help us to see it even now. Help us to have eyes that that are not just normalized, not just naturalized, but, but spiritualized that can see forward to what you are accomplishing and that can lay hold to those things as if they are true even today and to find our joy and our satisfaction in those things. That is the prayer We can pray, and it's a prayer that he will answer. It's a prayer that he answered for Moses. Recall what he did. Did Moses get to enter into the promised land? No, but before he died, he took him up on the mountain, right? And he, he showed him the promised land where the people would go. And then we read that Moses died and he was buried. But Moses shows up again in the Bible, doesn't he? on another mountain you recall the mount of transfiguration right where he beheld christ in all of his glory in his blinding glory that glory that moses had always wanted to behold he beheld it there and he he was with the lord and, and he answers our prayer the lord does in much the same way he he shows us the promised land in the church Right? That's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a, a picture of what God is going to accomplish. Right, We, we are supposed to be a community of faith that, that lives together and loves one another and forgives one another and, and, and cares for one another. And, and, and we should be a, just a, a little composite picture of the reality that God will ultimately bring about, bring about in the final day. And he shows us his glory. For we have beheld Christ. On the cross as well we have seen him as he has paid for our sins and we know him now as our savior so let us pray with moses in verse 17. that the favor of the lord our god be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us yes establish the work of our hands remember that these are the words of moses they're very similar to the words of benediction that we often say here those words that God gave to Moses to give to Aaron to give to the priests to give to the people of God the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace this my friends is our only hope but if we are in Christ it is our certain fate let us give glory to Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so now we pray that indeed you would help us to cling to them and live in light of them and to be the people that you have called us to be, to be a picture of your ultimate kingdom here on earth to your glory for we ask it in jesus name amen if you're able now please rise as we sing the final four verses verses 5 through 8 for for all the saints